Son, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm dead. Sorry for dying. But all the information you'll need for life is right here on this show. My friends Sean and Scott are here. We're going to talk about everything from girls, history, money, power tools. We'll even talk about how to check your testicles for lumps. You'll be fine. It'll be just like having a dad. Just pretend that I went out for smokes. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why you think our country's so innocent? Folks, um, the CIA, America, the United States of America. What is it really? <laughs> what is our what is our because I because um, as we know, welcome to Out for Smokes. This is a podcast uh, for my son. And um, you know, it's like people should people should know. People should know the, the real history of America. Um, what have we done? What is our foreign policy? What is it moving forward? And uh, so today, Sean is going to lead this episode. We're going to discuss, um, well, what do you have planned for us, Sean? Well, I just wanted to talk a bit about that clip you played at the front there of our most insightful president saying probably one of the truest things any president has ever said, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, like with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you might be watching the news, you might see a lot of people on U.S. media talking about Vladimir Putin and what a psychopathic killer he is. And, uh, you know, a lot of what they say is true, some of it isn't, but I think the point is there's a lot of killers out there. Mm Mm-hmm. And you think our country's so innocent? No, not really. So you get That's right, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> we know what you fucking did. We know what you did to those women <laughs> in Ireland. No, Matthew Broderick like killed a lady on accident. In he Ireland, hit her with a yeah. Car, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Piece of shit. Yeah. yeah, the Matthew Broderick episode. Right. He had to. He had to buy her dad a pint under Irish law. <laughs> <laughs> they have like a Sharia there. Do, do. Chica, chica. Um, But yeah, like what I wanted to go through with this episode was I found eight cases uh, where journalists were, I believe, killed by the CIA, the Mm -hmm. U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, the U.S. equivalent to Russia's FSB or whatever, you know, uh, fearsome agency. Putin, he he was former KGB, Mm -hmm. is the U.S. equivalent of the KGB. And you're not going to learn this in school. Yeah. You know? Yes. Well... Um, because that's the thing, like, I wouldn't mind... This is man talk. Right. Yeah. I don't doubt that, yeah, Putin kills journalists, Putin kills opposition activists in Russia, uh, the people looking into corruption. That's all true, in my opinion. But you always w- see these people on, like, U.S. News, CNN, MSNBC. They're always still, like, aghast. Like, you know, we have freedom in this country. You can report without being killed for your reporting. And, like, the difference is, like, in Russia, they kill journalists, but here they just, like, get sad and commit suicide with three shots to the back of the head. Right. You know, because they're so stressed about their reporting and all that. Yeah. So you just have these, like... Well, reporting is an art, and art is so... Yeah. Depressing. You have all these instances where it's, like, 
imagine they took place in any other country, what would you think happened? And like I said, I found these like eight cases that I'll go through here. Now, uh, these eight cases, is it CIA specifically that you think did it, or is or th- these are all just journalists who have... Because I did look at the yeah. document that you wrote, so... Is this journalist who died under like uh, suspicious circumstances, or do you think it was all CIA? I think like one of them might be military intelligence. It's okay. probably military intelligence, but that's okay. like, oh, you know, let's count it as the CIA for simplicity's sake. Yeah, and like again. None of these cases are proven, and I would encourage skeptical people to listen to this, and if I get anything wrong or make any omissions, please mm-hmm. let me know. Mm-hmm. But again, like what I would say is just, you look at these circumstances where you have journalists, in most of these cases, they were looking into the CIA or reporting on the CIA or paid by the CIA or involved in some capacity, and then they wind up with weird deaths, mm-hmm. and the circumstances of which are pretty murky. So I would just say imagine... You know, pretend you forget everything you learned in high school civics class. Yeah. That this is, we have a First Amendment and a free press and nobody gets killed for reporting over here. Yeah. So let's get, but before we start, let's get a little background on the CIA to to start. Because I didn't really know much about them until I read, I read The Devil's Chessboard mm-hmm. um, last year. And, uh, you know, because you, th- you think as sort, of a, as sort of a naive person who attends public school, you're like, oh, okay, well, the CIA, that's for... That's so we can gather intelligence, like, around the world or whatever. I mean, that's sort of your basic understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, you had, like, Jim from The Office when he did that, that whatever, what was the show? The Jack Ryan show. Yeah. Being like, oh, I, I totally, I nerded out when I went to the CIA headquarters. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, because the, the, I guess the idea of it is something that they've always sort of been able to kind of, like, slip by and, and sell to us, but they don't really teach you about sort of the link between, like, you never learn about the link between government and big business. Yeah. And it seems like the CIA kind of always served the interests of big business and large multinational corporations and and uh, those types of things, right? Yeah. Jim, like, from, Jim from the office, they let him, like, make his fucking goofy face as he, like, pops somebody's <laughs> eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just kills a union leader in uh yeah, some South American country. Right, yeah, waterboard. It, they, I don't know. Because for me like I'm still kind of putting the pieces together of of all this stuff and I it's it's ha- it's hard to I don't know. It's it's hard to there's a lot of dots to connect, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so basically like what people brief background on the CIA. The CIA came into existence in 1947. We had during World War II, the United States had an organization called the OSS which was the CIA before the CIA, but that was, it was actually considered a state of national emergency, obviously World War II and all that. The U.S. did not have a peacetime intelligence agency because uh, secrecy in a democratic society can be very dangerous. You can have exactly what we got with the CIA, which is wars that start, and then we have no idea that our government is doing them until 20 years after the fact. Right. So there was actually in the U.S. public demand to end this agency once the war concluded. So the OSS was disbanded. Mm-hmm. However, uh, powerful people from the business community and the uh, intelligence community and the remnants of the OSS lobbied Harry Truman, the president then, and eventually he created the CIA in 1947. Yeah, um, He would have like later regrets about it. 
he would talk about, he would give interviews after he left office. He says, you know, I never set the CIA up to be involved in operations. Yeah. They were just supposed to gather intelligence and give them to the president. Now what you've got is uh, they go over there and start these wars, and you don't know what they're doing and all this yeah. stuff. He, you know, There's never any oversight. Right. Um, and that's like, you know, particularly you see like in the Eisenhower era, the, the 50s, the CIA overthrows the government in Guatemala, in Iran, you know, installs like uh, really brutal dictatorships in their place. And but, but, uh, sorry, for, but how does that, how does that be? Okay, so you're, you're sent somewhere to look for intelligence or, you know, yeah. not for intelligence. And then how, did, how does it go from that to that? Who intervenes? Who speaks to them and goes, hey, well, the overthrow a government? Yeah, the CIA has, like, uh, an analysis division and an operations division, whereas, um, essentially, this operations division uh, can become involved in these things. But Harry Truman was saying that it, it, it should only have been an intelligence agency. It shouldn't have an operational capacity. But yeah. eventually, under the Eisenhower era, um, Eisenhower started using the CIA for these operations because he wanted to get them done without official U.S. government involvement. That's like, so like what you will have is like... Yeah, one of my favorite stories is after the Kennedy assassination, Truman like wrote an op-ed and right. said, I think the CIA did it. Like he essentially said like the CIA has become too powerful. Right. And then uh, Alan Dulles, the he the former head of the CIA, like goes to Harry Truman. He's like, you, you didn't mean that, right? You're like senile and you're like, <laughs> you have Alzheimer's and you try to get him to like retract the... The op-ed that he wrote. Right. Yeah, like he wrote a, a month after the Kennedy assassination, he said the CIA should have its operational capabilities uh, abolished, like we were just talking about. Like, they shouldn't be involved in ops. They should just only be doing intelligence gathering. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot to get into here, but I just yeah. want I just want a little bit of But, background. like, Scott's right to ask the question, because, yeah. like, a lot of people, they get this impression that the president controls the CIA. Exactly. And, like, he does to an extent... But kind of what you learn about bureaucracy, any of these agencies, FBI, CIA, the reason like J. Edgar Hoover was like in power for decades in the FBI is because he had dirt on all the politicians. Like nobody could fire him or mess with him. So that's what these institutions do once you kind of like have a department that's licensed to declare state secrets, get involved in assassinations, all these other things. Um, you can direct them to an extent. But JFK was like, all right, you're right, Hoover. I cheated on my <laughs> wife. <laughs> you got me. He did like... I wonder what other dirty had on other politicians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like... Um, but Hoover was in, in charge of the FBI from like the 1920s to like the 1980s or something, something crazy, right? Like yeah, for he like died, 50 years. Yeah, he was. Uh, he died when Nixon was president. Yeah. He was in charge of the FBI up until his death. Okay. Also, like a long time ago, it could have been simple. Like it could have been like the most simple thing was yeah. like get your ass kicked. You, you got know? a hand job somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And you you get, got a hand job at the soda stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, tell everybody. I don't care. Like yeah. now, but then yeah. it was a big deal. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, but so basically, like, you have these situations where, like, uh, President Nixon, for example, had, like, the, this kind of internal conflict with the CIA. He gives this quote that people always talk about, which I think is interesting. He uh, talks about the whole Bay of Pigs thing. That's the quote President Nixon says. And basically, it was during Watergate when the walls were kind of closing in. Nixon sent his aide, Haldeman, over to the CIA director, Richard Helms. They had a one-on-one -on -one meeting. And uh, Haldeman said, the president wanted me to tell you 
uh, to help us out with this Watergate thing because he's worried it could open up the whole Bay of Pigs thing. And Haldeman says the CIA director at the time, Richard Helms, uh, exploded in anger, slammed his fist down on the table and said, this has nothing to do with the Bay of Pigs. I'm not concerned about the Bay of Pigs. And again, nobody knows exactly what he was referring to, but Haldeman theorized he was probably, it was probably a code for the Kennedy assassination, basically. Okay. But the thing was, like, Nixon was trying to get these files from his CIA director. They had some Oval Office meeting that went an hour, and then he didn't want the files anymore. So we don't know what the CIA director said to the president, but it's like you can see these people who are in power for decades or years. They build up a Rolodex, they understand how power works, and they kind of keep civilian politicians in line, which is the danger of setting up these these secret institutions in a democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand how power works at all. <laughs> yeah, you said like civilian politicians. It's like, well, what, are the other, what were the other ones? They had to have started as civilians, but it's just... Well, just like CIA bureaucrats. Like you work for the CIA for 20 years, like the Republicans and the Democrats, they come and go, but you're always there. And as long as you like manage them, you can keep doing what you're doing. And uh, there will be, let's say, particular consequences if the civilian politicians deviate from what is required by these bureaucracies that kind of serve multinational corporations. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that too dense? Am I? No. Yeah. No, no. That's great. Yeah. Fuck. No, it's it's not. It's just it. Yeah. It's just like connecting all the dots. Like, for example, you know, like in in Iran, you know, you had you, you, like you have these oil fields, and you have all these companies who want control over the oil fields, even though it's not. It's like it's in companies Iran. are just looking at a world map, and they go, "Where is this thing we need?" And they find it. Yeah. yeah. Then they talk to the CIA, and they go, "How can we get it?" Yeah, they want they want to secure their interests in these areas, which is something that the average person never really thinks. Like I'm, I'm never like, hey, we should get Libya's oil or whatever, <laughs> you know. But uh, but they have these. So there, like, there's these oil fields, and the these these countries have these policies that you know they'll elect someone who's more of like a like a left candidate who's like, oh, we'll. we'll the workers in the oil fields are going to work ten hours instead of twelve hours, and then somebody from somebody we're, from yeah, the oil we're raising company, the minimum right? age to nine. Yeah, have to yeah, be at least nine, at and least we're like, nine. no, we need those seven-year-olds. Be at least nine, and they're like, those are my fucking seven-year-olds, <laughs> you fucking asshole, fucking communist. Yeah, you fucking communist. So then, what they do is they they have ways of like overthrowing the the government that says, yeah, no, not no, only nine-year-olds in the. So they then they install a new government that says no, we can get the seven year olds back in. Right. So it's like this very like this it, it this really complex stuff that the average person, like I said, doesn't really yeah and doesn't like really come into your and you can find like solid examples of everything Mike was talking about. Like the Rockefeller fortune was involved in the there was a 1964 coup in Brazil. Yeah. Where it was like the I think it was Nelson Rockefeller or one of the Rockefellers at the time, had business interests in Brazil. He was a little nervous about the government, and he basically lobbied the CIA and LBJ's White House, hey, could you do something about this? And then, you know, similar, the CIA overthrew the government in Chile, Salvador Allende, and this was a similar case, where actually, like, the Nixon White House wasn't really interested in interfering, but they were like, oh, there's a bunch of business money uh, from the Rockefellers and others who were like, hey, we're nervous about this guy nationalizing 
our resources. Yeah. Uh, so could you help us out with that? And the Nixon White House is basically like, oh, yeah, we need money for reelection and whatever else. So yeah. you kind of end up with a situation where uh, the CIA essentially acts as a global police force for multinational corporations that own resources such as oil in other to, parts yeah, of the world to turn a profit and now where does the cia profit from that like what are you know are cia agents yeah. paid more than everybody else because that's some fucking dirty work it's some dirty that work, i would yeah. hope you'd get paid a lot of money for but i think so so alan dulles when he was the director of the cia he made about like he made the equivalent of like a hundred thirty thousand dollars a year which isn't that great of a, of an income so i think they just like I think they enjoy the power that it, that right. it has. That you can, the traveling, they, too, probably, right? I, they probably like the travel, traveling. yeah. Traveling. Yeah. And the yeah. pussy. And the pussy, mm. yeah. yeah. But when they overthrew the government in Iran, I think they were given, like, a budget of a million dollars. Somebody was like... <laughs> it's I like a film Eisenhower, project. <laughs> yeah, so Eisenhower was like, here's a million dollars to overthrow Mossadegh in Iran, and they they only used, like, 60,000 of it. Yeah. And they, like, got the other president out and put in the Shah, who was, like, a less popular... But wow, more, under more budget, friendly I love that. Western interests, yeah. Um, so let's get into what you wanted to talk about, because we could, we could do a whole episode on this stuff. But what do you uh, – so you want to talk about journalists. Yeah, journalists specifically. Because you, uh, you can also find, you know, as we were mentioning, in instances where world leaders were assassinated by the CIA, um, uh, you know, other politicians, you know, yeah. lots of those. But, like, journalists specifically, I think, is kind of relevant because you always hear this kind of repeated that in the U.S. we have a free press. You can report whatever you want. Yeah. And kind of like in terms of tying this into a lesson for your son, Mike, I, I think the main lesson is, like, you know, we might joke about, like, the CIA killing us for this podcast or whatever. But, like, from what I've read, the CIA will kind of, like, leave you alone unless you can prove something. Mm -hmm. Like... They mainly just they don't kill. just kill people willy nilly, right? They yeah. kill whistleblowers and journalists who find unless, evidence. Unless you're unless you work in World Trade Center one, yes. or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, so the lesson would be like, if somebody offers you concrete proof that America did nine eleven, mm -hmm. just say no unless you want to like flee to Argentina right. and live there the rest of your life. Right, right, right. Because, like, um... You think anyone's guessed it and got killed? Like, there's just one <laughs> dummy who actually guessed it right. Some yeah. homeless guy? Just in a YouTube comment. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. fucking guessed it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, yeah, head exploded on the freeway. <laughs> right. Maybe. Yeah, because, I, I, like, I think it is mainly just, like, there's so much noise in America that it's, like, unless you have documents, unless you, have, you can prove something definitively... Mm -hmm. Like, you're safe. They'll just either ignore or discredit you. It's only when, like, these kinds of cases where people find particular things yeah. that uh, things seem to go kind of worse for them. And so, like I said, I found about eight cases of journalists I believe were killed by the CIA. Give you the outlines of each, and you guys can, like, decide. Feel free to interrupt if you have any, you know, questions or whatever. And, you know, make your own decision at the end. But, like, the thing is, you know, podcasts, they usually go about an hour uh, the CIA's killed a lot of journalists, so we're probably going to have to cut this. Maybe a two-parter. Yeah, around yeah. an hour. We'll, we'll head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash outforsmokes, and then you can uh, listen to the rest of the cases there. Um, so I'm going to talk today 
I got three journalists probably killed related to the JFK assassination, a Sunday Times journalist who was killed in uh, Egypt in 1977. There was a U.S. investigative reporter. He fa- was found with his wrist slit in, uh, in a West Virginia hotel in 91. Another Financial Times journalist was shot in Guatemala shortly before him. Uh, one of his sources was an NSA whistleblower who was beaten to death in a parking lot in 91. Uh, murder remains unsolved. Uh, there's a screenwriter writing about the CIA in Panama. He goes missing in 97. Um, there was Gary Webb, who wrote about the CIA involvement in the crack epidemic in 1996. He dies, two gunshots to the head. And then there's a guy named Michael Hastings, who's a Rolling Stones journalist, who dies in a fiery car crash in 2013. So I'll go through those cases. There are others. I, I like. I tweeted about this, and then people like sent me a dozen other cases, and I was uh-huh. like, I just don't have fucking time. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. But if you guys are interested... You, you, th- you know the CIA did it if it was late 80s, early 90s, and Unsolved Mysteries didn't cover it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is really funny. They, they do seem to be behind every like evil thing that happened in the past 50 years. Like, yeah. Let's... Yeah, let's... Um, Let's overthrow these governments overseas, but let's also get our people addicted to crack and let's mm-hmm. throw them in, in jail. And, you know, why? Like, because I guess somebody somewhere gets rich when that happens. Yeah, basically. Because I don't know, between like private prisons or whatever, whatever it may be. Right. Well, the, you just have this large, like, low social class here which you can basically just use for like experimentation yeah which they did with like lsd and uh you know all sorts of injecting people with things and um yeah then eventually just you know dumping crack on them because you need to fund a war in central america and i guess it's just kind of like fun for them at a certain point well that's the thing like you know alan dulles we were talking about earlier he was just like he, he he left the oss when it was disbanded and then he went to private practice as a lawyer and he was just bored out of his fucking mind yeah so it's like, yeah, once you, like, get a taste of, like, you know, cloak and dagger and getting people killed, it's hard to go back to, like, contract law. Right. Um, but so I'll go through, like, as, uh, as many of the stories as I can here on this, uh, on this first side, and then we'll continue it there. And like I said, if, uh, if you guys enjoy this, you, the listener, please let us know, because I will pick up on – I'll mention at the, the end – some of the other cases people mentioned, and uh, I'll re- revisit them if there's a demand, and I'll go through them kind of the same way. But to start with uh, these three journalists uh, who were, I believe, killed related to the JFK assassination, um, I believe the CIA was involved in the JFK assassination. We can do a future episode on that later. Um, but just for now, you know, you can remain agnostic or skeptical. I'll just go through these cases, and you can make up your own mind. So there's three journalists, Bill Hunter, Jim Cotty, and Dorothy Kilgalen. Uh, Bill Hunter, and this comes from uh, Spartacus-Educational.com. So in the JFK assassination, of course, you know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's taken into custody, and then uh, 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 two days later he's shot and killed by Jack Ruby being taken out of the police station. Uh, quoting from SpartacusEducational.com, On the day that Jack Ruby shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald, journalist Bill Hunter for the Long Beach Independent Press-Telegraph and Jim Cotty for the Dallas Times-Herald interviewed Jack Ruby's friend and roommate, George Senator, along with Ruby's attorney, Tom Howard. George Senator had lived with Jack Ruby since 62, 1962. He paid no rent, but in exchange he did a, occasional work at Jack Ruby's Carousel Club. That evening, Senator arranged for the four of them, along with Senator's attorney, Jim Martin, to That's search... That's a sweet life. No, you, no rent, and you get to have gay sex with Jack Ruby. <laughs> 
Uh, Senator arranged uh, for the four of them, along with his attorney, Jim Martin, to search Jack Ruby's apartment. So basically, the five of them all searched Jack Ruby's apartment on the night that Jack Ruby shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Wait, wait, wait. Before or after? Uh, after. Okay. Because he killed him in the morning. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then that night, they went to his they apartment. Went to his so apartment five people, searched. so two, two journalists and what? Police officers? Uh, he no. was a crime reporter? Two journalists, two attorneys, okay. and uh, and uh, Jack Ruby's friend and roommate. He's okay. like there. He brings them to Senator the apartment. Was his list. Let's yeah, talk. George Ruby just Senator. shot him this morning. Yes. What the fuck happened? Right. All right. Here we go. So it's unknown what they found there or what they discussed at that meeting, but three of the five people at this meeting would die suspiciously. And mm. it's kind of funny, like, you know, skeptics or conspiracy skeptics, they'll be like, well, you know, actually, like, two of the five people were just fine. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's, you know, that's not even a 75% death rate. That's, right. <laughs> you know, these things just happen. Um, but anyway, so Bill Hunter was the first one. He worked as a crime reporter in Long Beach, California. When he found out Kennedy got killed, he wanted to get down to Dallas because he had grown up in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas. He had contacts there, so his paper sends him out. Um, uh, he had written, quote, Within minutes of Ruby's execution of Oswald, before the eyes of millions watching television, at least two Dallas attorneys appeared to talk with him. So you can, like, apparently see it on this footage when Jack Ruby shoots this guy, or shoots Lee Harvey Oswald, almost immediately two Dallas attorneys, like, spear it over to him and, like, start talking to him mm. and, you know, appear to, like, know what to do. And uh, one of those attorneys, Tom Howard, he would, uh, he was at this meeting I just mentioned. He's one of the five to die early. He's the Jack Ruby attorney who came up with the idea of him saying he killed Oswald because he couldn't bear the idea of the president's widow being made to come to Dallas and testify, mm -hmm. which is kind of like what people still like stick with. They think, oh yeah, Jack Ruby just like loved women so much that he. Yeah. This guy was a fucking pimp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he was like a pimp who ran like prostitutes for the Dallas Police Department. Uh -huh. uh, but the official story is like, yeah, he shot Lee Harvey Oswald because he just didn't want to do that to the president's wife. Okay. Um, but yeah, so uh, regardless, this guy, uh, Bill Hunter. The story is, April 23rd, 1964, around 2 a.m., he is fatally shot through the heart while he's sitting at his desk at the Long Beach Police Headquarters press room. He was shot at a range of, quote, no more than three feet away. Uh, there were two police officers, because, like, you know, the, the police, the Long Beach police, they have a press room where the crime reporters hang out. He was there at 2 a.m. There were two police witnesses. The one uh, guy who shot him, Officer Crichton Wiggins, said his gun accidentally discharged when he dropped it on the ground. Uh, again, from Spartacus-Educational.com. Investigators found the trajectory of the shot was not consistent with the gun being fired from the ground, so he changed his story to say that he was playing quick draw with another officer. <laughs> nice. That officer was the only other witness who said his back was turned at the time of the shooting. Both of them received three years probation. So basically, he shot through the heart at like no more than three feet away point blank range by a yeah. police officer uh who says who changes his story and then the only other witness says my back was turned i have no idea what happened yeah um i do feel be, like yeah continue i do feel like in 40 years there will be a podcast where people like know pretty much exactly how 9-11 was done <laughs> but it'll be everyone involved will be dead yeah basically it's like you have to look at this stuff through the lens of like oh it was it was, you know, 60 years ago when everything was black and white. 
Yeah, basically. When everybody wore suits and sort of talked like this. Yes. Well, I think that's part of it, too. You know, a lot of these stories, it's like, is it conspiracy or, you know, we got to remember that everybody was drunk at their job. So he's like, (laughs) oh, I dropped it. And then it's like, well, no, you didn't drop the gun. There's no possible way from how it shot. And it's like, I don't know. I was drunk. We were all drunk. My dad would never play with his gun at work. (laughs) What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, like, that's part of why I, like, put together eight cases. Because it's like, okay, let's say you just buy, like, the official story on, like, six out of the eight. Yeah. If even, like, one of the eight was, like, killed by mm-hmm. the CIA, then it's like, yeah, that should be enough to mm-hmm. convince you there's a problem here. Yeah. Um, well, all I know is Hillary Clinton never had anyone assassinated. That's right. But it's funny, like, the uh, this guy's newspaper uh, that he wrote for, Bill Hunter, um, he wrote for the Long Beach Independent independent press telegraph and then like 50 years uh after the jfk assassination in 2013 for the 50th year anniversary his fucking paper published an article basically throwing him under the bus and saying no he wasn't murdered Mm -hmm. you know this was just kind of the culture at the time um and they quote like two people who i guess worked at his paper um one of them a a a columnist named george rose he was a crime reporter and he had a gun on him i guess that's just the way yeah, because basically they say that, like, during this time, the police and the crime reporters would haze each other a lot. Uh-huh. So he wrote in 1991 about his, like, experience with firearm horseplay with the cops in his day. And he says, quote, guns had been shoved in my ribs more than once. It was childish. Yeah, it was childish and terribly <laughs> dangerous. Fun. My uh, my ribs. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, always get hazed. They put guns in our <laughs> Right. He says it was childish and terribly dangerous fun and finally fatal. The only uh, surprise is that it hadn't happened before. Um, basically just saying, like, yeah, they were just horse playing all the time, and then this was a random coincidence that just went horribly wrong. Yeah. So, you know, make up your own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... The second one, uh, the other journalist who was there in uh, in this meeting with Jack Ruby's attorney and roommate, uh, he decides to write a book. His name was Jim Cotty. He decides to write a book about the Kennedy assassination. And then um, uh, the first guy, Bill Hunter, dies in April 1964. Jim Cotty dies in September 1964 because somebody breaks into his Dallas apartment and kills him, apparently by karate chop to the throat as he was getting out of the shower, mm-hmm. which is a cause of death I've never heard of before, but apparently this is how it went down. Also, karate is brand new to the States now, so <laughs> yeah, there's like, yeah, you yeah. know... There's only so many guys who know it. No karate. And 10 of them are CIA. (laughs) (laughs) Karate wasn't even. They said, oh, he died from karate chop. And the public went, what the fuck is karate chop? And they were like, fuck, we blew it. It's funny because they got away with so much of this stuff for so long. Like, there was never any oversight. And, like, they really kind of did feel like they could do whatever they wanted. So, at, at what point. Where they're like, guys, we gotta like rein this in a little bit. Well, it's technology, we right? It's it's things have advanced so much that we can find out information easier, and so you have to like tighten the reins and get smarter. They have to kind of think it up as technology advances. They have yeah. to switch it up. Yeah, it's just crazy because like Sunday night, I w- so I'm my my mo- money's a little tight right now yeah. for me. So Sunday night, I went to the grocery store. Sometimes I go grocery shopping with my wife, but I was like. This time, I'm going to bike over to the grocery store. I'm just going to get the essentials. I'm going to take one bag. I almost, like, calculated everything that I bought. I almost, like, put I, – I, I got a package of frozen fish, and I put it back because I was like, I don't need this. I can get it later. Mm. I get to the register. 
$62 for groceries for the week. That's very low. Hmm. I'm used to spending about 200 you know, yeah. on groceries. And it's like... And it's like, what do people in the Soviet Union, like, what did they do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> continue, continue. Yeah. But what did they... But, but it's, just, it's just funny because, like, the average person is like, oh, I saved 20 bucks because I didn't get the frozen fish. You don't think about the, le- the amount of wealth that is accumulated and how it's how it's done and the th- and the evil that's done to acquire those amounts because people I'm sure people got very rich off of 9/11 and the war in Afghanistan and the, and the Patriot Act and stuff like that. Oh yeah. But we just don't think about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I bought two packs of chicken thighs. I got <laughs> No, I'm just going to go ahead. But so Jim Cotty, he dies uh, of a apparent karate chop to the throat. He's the getting, one who's writing the book on... Writing a book on the Kennedy assassination. Um, uh, dies to a, by a karate chop to the throat getting out of the shower. And then this is from Ramperts Magazine in 1966. Quote, Robber, robbery appeared to be the motive, although Cotty's parents believe he was killed for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Whoever ransacked his apartment, they point out, was careful to remove his notes for a book he was preparing in collaboration with two other journalists on the Kennedy assassination. Within a week, a 22-year-old ex-con from Alabama named uh, Larry Earl Reno was picked up selling Cotty's personal effects and held on suspicion of murder. Uh, Reno's lawyers were Mike Barkley and the ubiquitous Jim Martin, both friends of uh, Jack Ruby's roommate, George Senator. Martin and Senator, one recalls, were with Cotty at that enigmatic meeting on November 24th, 1963. When the Reno case came before the grand jury, District Attorney Henry Wade secretly instructed the jurors not to indict, an extraordinary move for a a chief prosecuting officer with as strong a case as he had. The grand jury returned a no bill. Uh, Larry Earl Reno was later convicted and sentenced to life for a hotel robbery. But basically... So he he had this guy's notes on him? uh, He had his personal effects. Yeah. Um... Nothing so, about the nothing about the notes. It didn't have, or he didn't have the notes, or they were like um, not found with him. However, they did disappear from the apartment, and people who like knew Jim Cotty said it was clear this person had found his Kennedy notes and taken them out of the apartment. Yeah, yeah. given them um, to somebody. Yes, probably the person who said, "Hey, go in there and karate chop this motherfucker." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think with this stuff, you kind of just have to go off your instincts and like. Right, you know, because that's the thing. It's like, yeah, with murder, you do to legally say somebody killed this person. You have to prove it in a court of law where they're allowed to like call witnesses and defend themselves. Right, right. But we just never get to this point with any of these cases. Right, we just have to go like, here's all this circumstantial evidence. Right, make up your own mind. We go, oh, he stabbed himself sixty (laughs) four times. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But but when when it's when it's all so connected and these people have ties together, it's like, right, okay, it's either. In, you know the intention you know is is like government shit or whatever or curse like there's no other option you know you have to believe in curses yeah yeah well um yeah and so like again this guy who's like found with Jim Cotty's personal effects almost certainly murdered him uh, though people would probably just say it was robbery as opposed to like something related to the Kennedy assassination this guy is represented by one of the lawyers who was at that meeting that Jim Cotty was at. And then the district attorney who, like, has this guy dead to rights on murder, if, like, if you're found with the personal possessions of a murdered person, you are, like, basically dead to rights. Yeah. 
Uh, he just, the uh, chief, pro uh, the district attorney, Henry Wade, just instructs the jury not to uh, indict. So, you know, make up your own mind there. And then the last one is this attorney, Tom Howard. Again, Jack Ruby's first attorney. He would have a later one who came up with that, you know, he didn't, he didn't think Jackie Kennedy could bear going to Dallas, so he did it. Uh, he was present at that meeting. He dies of a, quote, heart attack, March 27, 1965, uh, but no autopsy was performed. He was 48 years old. That's such a wild theory because it makes you go, like, does anybody buy this stuff? Is there a single person in America who buys the, an explanation like that? Right. And, you know, it's something I've thought about recently. Like He's just a fan of the first lady. Yeah, it's <laughs> fucking nuts. It's like yeah. you, no one is that nice, and you know that. Like, you think it's just yeah. people you know are pieces of shit. Right. No one cares about anybody uh, in that way. It's unrealistic. Yeah. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's yeah. out of a fucking movie. So how when someone says that, how do you not just go, what? Yeah. Yeah. Red flag. Yeah. I want to get the death penalty for murder because I just love Michelle Obama so much. Right, right, right. I want to fucking get a lethal injection. Did because he get I the death penalty? He was sentenced to death. He died before they could execute him. Okay. Um, I think of cancer. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's just one of those things. And, you know, I've been thinking about that with, like, the... They gave him an Atari and just he got cancer from that way. Yeah. See, I put the jail under, like, a 5G line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but but I've been thinking about that, like kind of the absurdity, like of some of this this shit. Like the official story of the Kennedy assassination is that one bullet, you know, the so-called magic bullet, made seven wounds in two people, and you can look at a photo of it, and it looks like a fresh out the box bullet. Yeah, there was no blood, no uh, clothing, tissue, nothing found on it. This one bullet that supposedly made seven wounds in two people. Yeah. And that's just like that a bullet can go and make seven wounds in two people. That's the official thing that everyone in Washington has to say they believe. These say otherwise believe, yeah. smart and rational people have to believe that a bullet can do that. Yeah. And it's kind of a way of showing, let's say, that they're willing to play ball. If you're willing to say out loud, I believe this absurd thing, I will defend it, mm -hmm. then they know, oh, we can trust and rely on this person. They're, yeah. gonna, they're not going to piss outside the tent. Yeah. It seems like there's even people nowadays who, who like, um, people on MSNBC who just believe the, the Oswald story. Oh, yeah. And it's like, but for what, for what reason? Like, are they that gullible or... I think it's like part of a larger system of media control where I actually saw this explained uh, pretty well by uh, uh, at Shooter Libby on Twitter. Um, I forget if he was quoting somebody, but he, he said with the CIA, you shouldn't think of it like puppet masters or whatever. Right. You should just think of it as a guy who owns a theater and then hires actors to come into his theater. And so what you have with like MSNBC and CNN and all this is these journalists who get hired, you're not going to get hired if you don't play ball if you don't uh, let's say take the official line on particular things and like you know chris hayes is an msnbc journalist he has a show on msnbc and he's said like on twitter my big break he said this was he wrote a cover story for the nation magazine debunking 9-11 truth you know quote unquote debunking mm -hmm. but it's basically like 
they go out and they look for guys who are, you know, uh, all across the different political spectrum. But in particular, like if you say you're a liberal or a socialist or whatever, if you're willing to write a story saying, no, the CIA did not assassinate Kennedy. No, the CIA is not involved in the drug trade. No, the CIA did not do 9-11. If you're willing to write that story, like they will have TV appearances for you. Yeah. All right. of a sudden. Right. So it's like. It's it's not that they instruct people. It's just they only promote and advance those people who advance the message that they want to have hosted in their little theater. It's just crazy because the longer you're around, you start you start to realize that nothing about nothing about the systems and even in, in entertainment too. Yeah, nothing about it is meritocratic or you know like like. Well, also, also the narratives are like, it's like a fourth grade narrative. Oh, yeah. So you see through it so easily. Yeah. There's uh, this Ronald Reagan. Assassinations are pretty sloppy usually. Yeah. Right? Like, we like to think of, like, Hitman 47 from the video games, like a guy who's, you know, on a roof somewhere with a sniper rifle. Yeah. But it's usually just the total opposite of that. Yeah, it's like you're shooting a guy in the head, and you, most guys, after they shoot a guy in the head, they trip as they're running away. Yeah. <laughs> That's how sloppy it is. Yeah. Right. We're like, we didn't say karate chop him in the throat. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? We said shoot him with a gun. Yeah, because it's like, and you know, I definitely do want to do like a full episode with you guys on the Kennedy assassination, because I can talk more about all these things, where it's like, yeah, it was just like a turkey shoot. I mean, like mm-hmm. the CIA, the Secret Service, the turkey shoot. Yeah, yeah, they took that limo, the limo that Kennedy was killed in, immediately from the hospital. The Secret Service seized it and destroyed it, <laughs> and then yeah. they rebuilt it. And then, uh, ominously enough, Nixon and LBJ would like ride in it as the presidential limo. Right. And they claimed like, oh, because of budget shortages, we had to like get it back into service. Yeah. <laughs> like these people have like you know no money at all in the fucking. But it, that's like the limo. It's, just, it's crazy. They just say they just like say whatever. Yeah, and the people and like you know you want to talk about journalists. There's video you can watch of Dan Rather. Uh, he got his career made because he said he had seen the, the Zapruder film before it was public. Nobody in the U.S. could see it until the 1970s. Dick Gre- Gregory uh, made that. Yeah, happen. Dick Gregory made it happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, Dan Rather went on TV before it was public and said he had watched it and that you can see Kennedy's head go forward as uh-huh. he is shot from the back. Uh-huh. And of course, everybody's seen it. it. His head goes backwards. Right. You can argue about it, but it's like, yeah, Dan Rather lied about what he saw right. or, you know. Right. And or then misremembered. He, exactly. And then he becomes like the fucking chief anchor at CBS. Right. It's like, that's not an accident. These people who play ball, they do get advanced mm-hmm. through the media. Mm-hmm. Now, does Dan Rather, did they sit Dan Rather down and be like, we killed, you know, we killed the president, right? <laughs> or, or is he just like, is he just like gullible? Or yeah, like, he left how it, do they it... fluff him? And they're just like, great job. Yeah, I, I have to imagine. I'd like to karate chop him. When I would he's love. In the shower. To... And you know, Dan Rather's actually said his regret <laughs> is that uh, part of how this the journalist community uh, treated the Kennedy story. He thinks they got it wrong, and it's like, I don't know. I guess probably just some police guy just gave Dan Rather a tip, like, yeah, we've seen the video. His head goes forward or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Rather claimed he'd saw the tape, so either he's lying about having seen the tape or he lied about what he saw on the tape. Yeah. Um, but you know, it also sounds like a video. We, do you think that if, the public would never see? Yeah. Do you think if we if if our podcast was about like just debunking every conspiracy, every little conspiracy, we're like Avril Lavigne is alive. <laughs> like I think we'd be like we'd probably get a TV show or something. Yeah, 
Well, there's like a, you know, there's popular TikTokers who do that shit. Like, or disinformation yeah. researchers is the new thing where mm-hmm. it's like, they're basically propagandists, mm-hmm. you know, just like knocking down this or that narrative that's inconvenient. Yeah. <clears throat> well, if you want to know how I only spent $60 on groceries, follow us on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash pod will give you all kinds of tips <laughs> on how to save money. Don't bring your, never bring your wife to the grocery store. That's number one. But, um... But to move on to the, the last case related to the Kennedy assassination that I got for you, this is a, a lady named Dorothy Kilgallen. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until her death, she was actually the most famous female investigative reporter in the United States. She was a regular panelist on this uh, television game show called What's My Line from uh, 1950 until her death in uh, 1965. She dies November 65. The police report she had died from taking a cocktail of alcohol and barbiturates. Uh, she's the subject of a 2017 book by Mark Shaw called The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, The Mysterious Death of What's My Line star and media icon Dorothy Kilgallen. And weirdly enough, the guy who killed her, who probably killed her, is still alive. Um, and uh, Mark Shaw, actually, there's a New York Post article in uh, 2019 that Mark Shaw's uh, filed a court uh, appeal to get her body dug up and test it for this guy's DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. Because he's still, like, just some fucking guy out in New Jersey. Um, Who's Mark Shaw? Uh, Mark Shaw is the, the guy who wrote the book about her. Okay. Um, he filed a, a, a court petition, and he says that uh, they haven't, like, responded to the petition. He's tried to get the Manhattan DA to look into this. They haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, regardless, she, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, she uh, was born to journalist parents. She begins writing this uh, Voice of Broadway gossip column in uh, 1938 until her death for uh, the William Randolph Hearst paper, the New York Journal American newspaper. Column was eventually syndicated to 146 newspapers. Um, it, it, she was like one of the most popular gossip columnists at the time. She would like mainly do inter- entertainment, like uh, uh, Spartacus-Educational.com quote. She would tell uh, publicists who were looking to plug their clients with her, she would tell them, quote, bring me three detrimental stories concerning other st- uh, stars, and I will include a good piece about your client, mm-hmm. which they would always be happy to do because usually the other stars would be rivals of their clients. <laughs> She's just smearing Martin Luther King <laughs> in her gossip column. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, so she mostly wrote gossip, but she also had like CIA sources and de- disseminated CIA propaganda. It's kind of like TMZ, like they're they're... Breaking news now. They're actually getting information before news sources. Right, because, like, if you're even... Occasionally. If, yeah. yeah you fall She's like, I it. heard Bobby Kennedy got a hand job from a Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Join me next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gossip. It's a gossip. Apparently. It's her chain smoking. <laughs> Apparently, she, like, knew about uh, JFK's affairs, but, like, covered them up as part of, you know... She was like a friend or, you know, Irish solidarity or whatever. Yeah. Um, But she would like, she definitely had CIA sources, and she wrote a significant number of anti-Fidel Castro stories. Um, Castro took power in uh, 1959. Uh, She became the first journalist to su- American journalists to suggest in July 15th, 1959, that the CIA and mafia were working together to assassinate Fidel Castro. So she was the first American journalist to suggest that, which we now know is true. 
And um, that's so funny. She's just gossiping though. Like, what right. if she's just talking shit? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's just like ah, I but she bet that, no, the but CIA. That was, that was true though. Well, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like you know, if you're a gossip columnist or TMZ or whatever, you do cultivate these sources with like celebrities and you know. Yeah. Uh, How do you not have respect for Castro, no matter who you are? Well, I guess like. If you're, uh, if you own, let's say, a sugar plantation in Cuba, right. you might be a little mad about you might it. Be mad, yeah, yeah. So, like, there was that element of it, and uh, for whatever, but it just seems like the people who are anti-Castro are very annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she was kind of like a conservative psycho. Well, I don't want to judge her too much, but for yeah. whatever reason, she was very anti-Castro in her column, and okay. it seems likely that she had CIA sources. Or, like, she had sources in the Miami Cuban exile community who, like, fed her a lot of this anti-Castro stuff. But also, like, she accurately reported about the the assassination plots against him. Damn. And then they fucking dropped her. Yeah, so basically, Kennedy's assassinated November 22nd, 1963, uh, again from Spartacus Educational. Kilgallen had a good contact within the Dallas Police Department. He gave her a copy of the original police log that chronicled the minute-by-minute activities on the department on the day of the assassination, as reflected in the radio communications. This enabled her to report that the first reaction of Chief Jesse Curry to the shots in Daly Plaza was, quote, get a man out on top of the overpass and see what happened up there. Uh, unquote. Kilgallen pointed out that he had lied when he told reporters the next day that he initially thought the shots were fired from the Texas School Book Depository. So basically, she reported that the Dallas police chief who was on the scene lied and had actually told people that he heard shots coming from the overpass mm-hmm. and then lied about it and said, no, it was the School Book Depository the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in 1964. She's able to get an interview with Jack Ruby unknown what uh, was said. Um, She basically started writing a book on the Kennedy assassination, which is like, you know, really increases your mortality rate at this time. Yeah. Um, She didn't publish, like, her conversation with Ruby in her gossip column because she was actually in financial difficulties at this time because she had a libel lawsuit against her from another case. Um, And, you know, she's already, like, paid a salary by the paper. It doesn't help her to, like, disclose these explosive details. So she gets the idea she can solve her financial problems by writing a book on the Kennedy assassination and citing her interview with Jack Ruby. She was... Uh, up to that point, the only American journalist to be given a private interview with Jack Ruby. So she's going to, like, put this in a, um, uh, after he killed Oswald, to be specific. She's going to put this in this book called Murder One, Make a Fortune, all this. Uh, Again, from Spartacus Educational, she begins to tell her friends that she was close to discovering who assassinated Kennedy. She, uh, according to David Welsh of Ramparts Magazine, she, quote, vowed she would crack the case. Another New York showbiz friend said Dorothy told him in the last days of her life, quote, in five more days, I'm going to bust this case wide open. Uh, she was aware of the other two journalists who had I mentioned had you know died under mysterious circumstances. She actually handed a draft copy of her chapter on the assassination to her friend Florence Smith. On November 8, 1965, Kilgallen was found dead in her New York apartment. She was fully dressed and sitting upright in her bed. Uh, the notes for the chapter she was writing on the case had disappeared. Her friend Florence Smith, who she had given that chapter to, died two days later. Uh, officially of cerebral hemorrhage. 
The copy of Kilgallen's article was never found. And um, so, yeah, officially, uh, her death is, you know, alcohol and barbiturate overdose. Did she talk to Ted Cruz's dad? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Speaking of our favorite president, <laughs> just um, want to say shout out. Uh, and, and they can really like I mean uh, you know the the weeks leading up the way she's speaking they can just say she's going nuts you know oh this is psychosis she's not sleeping she's talking exactly. out of her fucking head and it turns out she's on drugs and now she's overdosed you know and then her friend dies two days later and you go you know how ladies are she was so sad yeah that she her her heart broke and you go yeah of course her friend died her heart broke and now she's dead too. Well, that's the thing. Like, you, th you might think you're protecting yourself when you start telling your friends the CIA is going to kill me. But actually, that's the alibi that'll make it be like, oh, he was going insane in the last years, weeks of his life. He was paranoid. He was telling people the CIA was after him. Right. No surprise he killed himself. Right. right. So it's like, you know. it. We need to rally around mental illness. That's right. Because this guy thought the CIA was trying to kill him. That's how mentally ill he was. <laughs> he needed uh, talk space. <laughs> talk space, everybody. <laughs> but um, uh, the uh, uh, so Lee Israel is another journalist. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. Um, Can you ever forgive me with Melissa McCarthy? No. Um, it, it was pretty good. I liked it. Lee Israel. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Can you ever forgive me with Melissa McCarthy? It's about yeah. her eating the uh, leftovers every time. <laughs> to her, her husband. Lee, Lee Can you Israel ever forgive is, me? I ate your cake. <laughs> Lee Israel is the guy that you get stuck in line behind at the pharmacy, and he's just taking forever. Like, is there a prescription here for Lee Israel? It <laughs> uh, like a Sasha Baron uh, character, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, but anyway, she was a journalist who, uh, Melissa McCarthy in that movie, she gets accused of, like, plagiarism and um, uh, selling fake autographs, fake letters, and it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. But she had written a book on the life of Dorothy Killed Galen. She published it in 1979. Uh, so she was kind of like the definitive journalist who'd, like, studied Kill Galen's life. Uh, basically, she's the one who first reported about this guy called the out-of-towner, unquote, According to Israel, she met him in June 1964 during a press junket for uh, journalists in the uh, uh, film industry, working in the film industry. Um, Israel, Lee Israel claims that the, quote, out-of-towner went up to kill Galen and asked her if she was Claire Booth Luce as an icebreaker. So basically, like, she starts writing these columns about the Kennedy assassination, and then this dude shows up out of nowhere and, like, you know, goes up to her and starts spitting game at her, and they become lovers. Um, in 1993, and Kill Galen is the one who breaks the story, but she doesn't identify the guy. In 93, the... When did Kill Galen die? Uh, Kill Galen died in 65. Okay. And then this biography on her was written in 79. Um, in 93, the investigative reporter David Herschel uh, discovered that uh, this guy's real name, the out-of-towner's real name, was Ron Pataki. Um, and uh, quoting from Spartacus Educational here, in 1965, Ron Pataki had been a journalist working for the Columbus Citizen Journal. He admitted that he was the, quote, out-of-towner and that he worked on articles about the assassination of Kennedy with Kilgallen. Pataki also confessed to meeting Kilgallen several times in the Regency Hotel where she died. However, he denied Lee Israel's claim that he was with her on the night of her death. Um, 
Ron Patan, and then this is from uh, Jonathan Wendlin, writing in uh, Dorothy Kilcalen, the key witness. Ron Pataki had no ties to organized crime, but he did graduate from one of the schools for assassins that later became the U.S. Army School of the Americas. He had dropped out of Stanford to go to, I believe, Panama. Uh, yeah, to go to Panama and enroll in this assassination school for the CIA in 1954. Uh, during the four and a half years that he was close with Kil, the four the year and four months that he was close with Kilgallen, he worked as a m movie reviewer for a daily newspaper called the Columbus, Ohio Citizen Journal. It no longer exists. At the Assassin School, there's just cardboard cutouts that they use for target practice. It's just like a guy with a notepad, <laughs> or it's just like a woman with a baby. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Got it right between the eyes. Right. It's like it just like guys with different size Irish heads. Yeah. Like different Kennedys. <laughs> yeah. They start you with like the, the smaller the Bobby Kennedy head, then they work you up to the big Ted Kennedy head. Yeah. It's just like a, a female politician. <laughs> um but so and then John Simpkin interviews <laughs> they work you up to the <laughs> to the bigger. That's funny. <laughs> John Simpkin uh, interviews Lee Israel, again, who wrote this Kill Galen biography. He interviews her in 2005. He asks her, quote, Did you ever find any evidence that Ron Pataki, uh, again, Kill Galen's lover, uh, who was, Lee Israel says, with her on the night of her death, did you ever find any evidence... Pataki's the one that went to the assassination school? Yeah. Did you ever find any evidence that Ron Pataki was working for the CIA? Lee Israel, quote, No, only that he dropped out of Stanford in 1954 and then enrolled in a training school for assassins in Panama or thereabouts. John Simpkin, do you believe that Ron Pataki murdered Dorothy Kilgallen? Lee Israel, quote, He had something to do with it, unquote. And then last thing is just like, the circumstances of how Kilgallen was found. Uh, Mark Sinclair was her personal hairdresser. He often woke Kilgallen in the morning. I'm quoting from Spartacus Educational once again. Kilgallen was usually out to the early hours of the morning. Uh, when he found her body, he immediately concluded she had been murdered, and he gives five reasons. One, Kilgallen was not sleeping in her normal bedroom. Instead, she was in the master bedroom, a room she had not occupied for several years that he said she just kept for show. Um, Kilgallen was wearing fake false eyelashes. According to Sinclair, she always took her eyelashes out before she went to bed. Uh, three, Kilgallen was found sitting up with the book The Honey Badger on her lap. Uh, Sinclair claims that she had finished reading the book several weeks earlier, and she had discussed the book and its ending uh, with Sinclair at that time. She had actually written in her column four months before her death that the protagonist of the book dies in the end. So this is the book she was found sitting in so bed she with. she spoils books. Yes. <laughs> That's why asshole. the CIA killed her. That's why someone killed her. Somebody the CIA. <laughs> was like, Alan Dulles was like, I was fucking reading that. <laughs> Stupid <alert>. bitch. <laughs> Damn it. That's like that's how they they pay you only one hundred and thirty thousand is you just get to like kill people for spoiling books. Yeah. <laughs> just like this will throw them off the Kennedy trail. Yeah. Uh, Kilgallen had poor eyesight, could only read with the aid of glasses. Her glasses were not found with the bedroom when she died. Uh, she was found wearing a. Uh, Bolero type blouse over a nightgown. Sinclair claimed that it was the kind of thing she would never wear to go to bed, unquote. So what do they do? Like they, they kill her and they put her in the bed and they go, Oh, let's put a book next to her. <laughs> like like because they're that stupid. Well they put right? like, like a few other sloppy. things in her hands first and they're like, No, that doesn't make yeah, yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. They put like a, a whisk from her kitchen in her hand. <laughs> like what do these broads like to do? <laughs> what do these what do these broads carry around the house? <laughs> 
Yeah, and then there's like a bunch of like messed up things with the autopsy where they can never quite say like how much or they've never determined how much or they never released how much alcohol or barbiturates or whatever she was supposedly on. Mm. Um, so it, it's just one of those things where I'm extremely skeptical that she would kill herself. And this guy, you know, Pataki's admitted that he was like the last person to see her alive, but it's 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 just weird where, like, these cases, like the Kennedy cases, it's always, oh, everybody's been dead for, like, a decade. But yeah. no, it's like this guy's in Jersey. They could just get his DNA. They could dig her up. They could see if, like, you know, they had sex on the night she right. died or something. Right. But they just... The DA doesn't want to and do that. And that's why we here at Alpha Smokes Pod say, dig up that fucking grave. Dig up okay? the body. How do you get his dig DNA, though? Bo- you can't just act. You know, I mean, how can they legally? The, the court could compel him, I guess. Yeah. It just seems so extreme, no? You give him a fake COVID test. Like <laughs> <laughs> COVID list. <laughs> but so regardless of what you think of Dorothy Kilgalen, whether or not she was just, you know, another drunk Irish bitch who just fucking... <laughs> Drowned in her own vomit, and there's, and there's so many. <laughs> it's hard. It's like, and so like, I did kind of look at like the last night of her life. She taped this show, you know, whatever that unwatchable panel show was. Yeah, what's uh, my line? What's my yeah, line? what's my line? Yeah, uh, she apparently was like slurring a little bit. She was uh-huh. actually pretty sharp because I guess the show is like you guess people's occupations, and yeah. she was very good at it. And she was like you, uh, on the the tape of the last night. I'm sure that was a fun show to watch when there were four things on yes. TV. <laughs> Yeah, it was like that or Edward R. Murrow or like, yeah, just like, it was like four or things on TV. you could watch Lucille Ball be a, act like a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's like four things on TV and three of them are rigged quiz shows. You think that happened people watching I Love Lucy being like, this woman's a fucking idiot. Well, Ricky Ricardo's Cuban, right? Yeah. That, I, how did they let that happen? If, if we shit on them, and I know this is such a sidetrack, but it's one of the biggest shows ever. It's like. The only show that was huge at the time is like that and Leave It to Beaver. He was probably like a conservative Cuban, though. Yeah. I would guess. That's, I I don't know. They were like, he has to say Babalu three times in every episode so people know they're fucking stupid. Yeah. He was a Dorothy Kilgallen source on the anti Castro stories. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so it's like she was, uh, on this panel show. She was a little under the weather. She, uh, or a little like in the bag, let's say. But she's like, you know, functional and smart. And then she leaves this because it was taped live and she goes to the hotel that we mentioned, the Regency. And then people there say that she met with this guy, Ron Pataki, and they went back to bed together. And then she wakes up dead. So we don't know. Did she? Was she married? She was married. It's like her husband and her did a show together, but that like a radio show. Uh-huh. But then they got divorced, but it was making money, so they kept doing right, the, right, the fucking right. radio show. Yeah. But she was like, you know, technically single, and she meets this guy, the out of towner, who's went to a CIA assassination school and is the last person mm-hmm. seen with her. Well, on he the obviously night of her didn't pay attention to that assassination <laughs> school. <laughs> he obviously cut class. Yeah, and so Ron Pataki's still alive. He's still alive, uh, and uh, yeah, Mark Shaw, the journalist who wrote a book on it, is trying to get his DNA to find out if uh, you know he got it on with Kilgallen one last time or not. So which one of us is going to suck Ron Pataki's dick to figure this out? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I mean, 
You have like one of those sample cups from the doctor's office, like in your back pocket, and you just like wait till until he says like, oh, ah, oh, and you just whip it out and <laughs> well, you slap do it, the and lid then over. Like, well, we're we're not digging up the body, and you're just like, oh, damn, Patoo. You're like, uh, hey, free COVID test. You just have to spit in my mouth. <laughs> it's a new, it's new technology. <laughs> Guys, I, got, I finally got this old man to spit in my mouth. We're gonna solve the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> Imagine like how dedicated to solving the Kennedy assassination you'd be to like get one of those like doctor's sperm receptacle cups and like log it down like deep in your throat yeah. and just blow a guy. Until he, yeah. he comes in it. I'm looking it up. Ron Pataki, right? Okay, here we go. I'm going to see if he's got a fucking Facebook. Hmm. But anyways, uh, we will continue this story on the Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash outforsmokes. We'll start over there with David Holden, the Sunday, uh, Sunday Times journalist killed in Egypt in 1977. We'll continue. We'll talk about Gary Webb. Uh, Danny Casolaro, um, and Michael Hastings, among others. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Out for Smokes. We will see you on the Patreon. See you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>